Hey, Dustin. How's it going? We're here for another one. Here it is. Here it is. <laughs> we missed I like a week. It. I love that we just jump into this now. You know, I don't, not a lot of yeah. preamble. We're just <laughs> we're just here. <laughs> no plan. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, just wanted to say, big announcement for me on my side. I have finally got the time and the materials together. I'm starting my own. I'm I'm building um, uh, a concrete pad and a sort of a, a. I call it a pole barn, but it's not really that high. Uh, but it's just a pole shed, I guess, for my uh, for my telescope. So I'm really excited Man. about that. Yeah, I'm it's finally getting started. I'm, I'm I'm gonna do it by hand, though. It's not I'm not gonna have like however many piers you have or anything. It's not gonna be anything super fancy. I'm just gonna lay out a concrete pad behind my solar panels, and um, I got a pallet of uh, concrete that I'm gonna mixer, and I'm gonna start doing it all by hand. And then uh, after I do that, I'm gonna put up these i put up a shed around it it'll be a roll-off shed i think um, yeah so are you gonna have um you know this is one of the questions that um i've seen the most just from people in general on uh, like instagram and, and twitter and other things when they direct message but it's always about observatories everybody that's the dream right is having an observatory that you can just leave everything set up and then mm-hmm. roll the roof off of and go out there and it's already ready to go and you you end up using your equipment a lot more so it oh yeah you know, instead of buying new equipment, sometimes the right choice is to buy the observatory to house the equipment because you get three, four, sometimes 10 times the use out of the equipment you already own if it's just plug and play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I this telescope is a beast and I got to be honest with you, I only take it out maybe once a month at this point yeah. um, just because it is a big, big deal. And, um, you know, I almost, and because of my my property, the way it works is I don't have a lot of paved area around my house. I live in a cabin. It's got okay. five acres of land around it, all of it's sand. So if I take, and I got it, I store it right now on my back porch, which is a, a screened porch. So I've got to scooch it through the doorway and then immediately I hit sand. And yeah, so, I, you know, I've got to get out and I've got these pneumatic tires, but it's still heavy. So, you know, I got to push it to where I want it to go. And then it's generally not level because have a slight slope away from my house. Um, so uh, yeah, I just, I mean, you know, big confession, I don't take it out as much as I want to because it's just too big. It's just too much effort. I think this will hopefully alleviate that. I was shipping you that thing, telling you that, um, you know, I, I was really excited to give it to you, but also I felt really guilty about what I was putting on you because even trying to box it and get anyone to ship it, I brought, brought it into, you know, it was like a, I don't know, a Saturday or something. My team wasn't at the office and I wanted to get it shipped and brought it to like a UPS store. They're just like, no, turn around, leave. <laughs> you know, whatever's in yeah. that box, not shipping here. Hey man, you know what, Tony, my friend, you, let's do this to Tony. Let's send him a chore. Let's send him some workout. Yeah. Oh, that mirror, the mirror is huge, man. I don't know what yeah. that thing weighs, but a 20 inch mirror is not small. It's, yeah, it's heavy. heavy. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing, you know, it's the, I, there, there's all that jostling that goes along in my, I mean, I have a little uh, dolly for it, but you know, it still gets jostled. Cause I, like I said, I don't have even ground and I'm getting it out to where I can see the sky is, uh, it yeah. jostles around a little bit. And I spend a lot of, not a lot of time, but sometime collimating. I don't know how anybody, if they ever have used this telescope as a portable telescope, I just can't imagine yeah. breaking this down. There's no car. such thing as a portable half meter. <laughs> yeah. Well, people try. I suppose I could do a trailer, and I did think about a trailer. Uh, you know, putting it on like a double axle trailer and then covering it and just have the trailer roll off when I get to where I'm going. The, yeah. pro- the reason I decided against that was the – I don't care how – what kind of jacks you use for it. You're still going to have to climb up onto the trailer – to look through the eyepiece and it's going to jostle. There's just no way I'm going to be able to stabilize it. It's not like an RV where they just have these jacks that come down and they level it and they, you know, make it a little bit sturdier than if it's just on its chassis and suspension. No, it's, it's going to move. It, You're going to see that move. Yeah, because yeah. you know, guy like me, I'm you know, I'm 200 pounds. I'm walking around this telescope. This telescope on the trailer, it's just going to. No matter what I do, it's like a deck. You know, it's like mounting your telescope on a deck outside your house, just, it, it's going to vibrate and move around. So I decided against that. If I were an imager, I guess it wouldn't be as quite as big a deal. I could just stay off it once I've got everything set up. Um, 
but yeah, I don't do that as much. I'm more of a visual guy. And if I'm going to have, you know, it's about a 20 inch telescope is ideal for still using an eyepiece. So well, I decided big- against the, tra- the trailer for that reason. When I first got into astronomy, all I saw in all of the forums was aperture is king. No matter what you're thinking about telescopes, go buy the biggest aperture you can. And it's not necessarily true, but the one place it does serve you well is visual. Um, yeah. And there's just nothing quite like a scope like yours when you're looking through it visually at you know the moon or the planets. It, it really is unbelievable. No matter how many times you've looked through a scope, it's unbelievable what you can see through a big telescope with really high-end optics like that it's just incredible especially the planets yeah yeah so um yeah and and i'm looking forward to being able to use it more as a result of this so listeners of this podcast and if you want you know if you follow my youtube channel at all i'm going to be documenting this whole thing so uh if you're interested in how to build a very simple shed like uh, observatory. This won't be anything like what Dustin does. This is just going to be, like I said, I've got these eight foot and 10 foot fence posts left over from a lot of fencing that we had done around the property. I'm going to use that as the structure. So this is going to be about six foot high with a roll off roof. You won't be able to stand up in it with the roof closed. It's just going to be enough to house the telescope and keep it protected from hurricanes. And that's another thing I'm going to have to build it to withstand really high winds. So I'll document the whole thing and post it either on this podcast or, you know, on the YouTube channel. So stay tuned. I'm excited. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask if you were, because I know people would be interested. I mean, I'm interested in seeing how you do it. But um, if you're in astronomy, eventually you get the bug for, well, I just want to walk outside and be able to turn my scope on and go. Yeah. Um, not, not have the set The setup... How many nights do we not do astronomy because of the setup? Oh, well, like I said, most nights it's for me. Yeah. I don't, I don't take it out anywhere near as much. Um, because that's of why it, remote so. observatories are so valuable, man. It's like, yeah. you know, I know that you lose that, that connection with hands-on with your equipment, but being able to just sit down at your computer or sit down at your iPad while you're on the couch, you know, mm-hmm. and there it is, your imaging or from your phone, even at dinner, it's like, You've got uh, you've got it all there, and you literally just log in and start going. I mean, yeah. it, it removes all the hassle, and so you end up using it all the time. And for me, it's I'd rather have more time on it. I mean, it's it's what I love doing. What I love doing. My hobby is not set up and tear down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly right. You know, it's not wrestling. Uh, you know, wrangling huge heavy equipment all night long. No, that's not yeah. what we're doing this but for. It's hard. It's hard and it's expensive. And I like how you, you point out multiple times. It's not like what Dustin does. Listen, I didn't set out to have <laughs> 20, 20. All I mean is that you got really fancy stuff and, and you got a really yeah. fancy setup. That's all I meant. Yeah. It just kept, it kept growing. So here's what happened. I was going to build a three peer observatory at my house. Um, so I've got, I've got some property. It's, it's attached to the property that I live on, but it's separate. And um, you know, it's like, it's really dark. It's surrounded by, trees and it's a relatively dark area, but it's great for imaging. And, um, and so I was going to build this, but then, you know, Katni and some of my best friends and then Sean, uh, lives here, you know, tag back TV. And so we all started talking. They're like, well, we want, we want to participate. Let's do it too. I was like, all right. So then it turned into a bigger observatory and it's got like seven peers. And then it just, (laughs) everybody I talked to, they were like, well, what about us? You know, and I'm like, all right, it's got 11 peers and then it was 12 and then, and then it was like, okay, well we need a second building, you know? And so now I've got like, I don't know, like six, seven peers left. Cause the second one's just a, I figured it would keep growing and it has, and people have been messaging me on social media. And, and one of the dreams has always been to, to create that access anyway and make it inexpensive because it's so expensive. To, I mean, some places are three and four thousand dollars just to rent a, a pier for your scope. I'd love to see those prices get to where people could do it for fifty or a hundred dollars a month. It's just not practical. You can't do it. Like, I mean, even with what I'm doing, just replicating it out, you just can't do it. The materials alone, even just the piers. These piers are on big concrete um, uh, piers that go all the way into the ground. So you've got the metal pier on top of the concrete one that goes all the way into the ground. You know, several feet. And they're like three feet wide. And even just bringing the concrete out is thousands of dollars. So what I told people is just like, look, I can't get the price down anymore. But for the people that have been calling me, I'm like, look, 300 bucks a month, that's 90% off. And we'll we'll set it up for you to run it. Um, It's not something I can do full time. It's not like I can make it a separate business. But for the extra peers I have, I mean, that's what I'm doing. And that at least, you know, pays back the concrete or whatever. 
um, and gives people an opportunity to image. But that's how it ended up being this like huge project was just my friends who were wanting to all have something that they could leave set up exactly what you're doing. It just, we were all in the same area together. <laughs> right. Well, that's an interesting business model. Actually. I think about it. If you, if you were say living in, uh, and I'm, I'm saying you rhetorically, just anybody listening, if you were living in an area that's had r- really good skies, uh, like I think the guys at Landers did that, right. They had, um, a lot of land and concrete pads and they were letting them available to people. Uh, weren't they yeah, doing that kind of a thing that's got the skies and land yeah. for it? I mean, and if you can have the infrastructure of good internet connections and, you know, that's the benefit of me being in, you know, close to a city is that it's like a gig internet speed that, that you have here where it's really hard to do that out in landers and other places. Cause it's just, there's no infrastructure, but well, not anymore. I mean, now with uh, Starlink, I mean, it's a blessing yeah. and a curse for astronomy right now with Starlink, you can put a sure. Starlink up uh, in the middle of nowhere and have, you're not going to get gigabit speeds. You're going to my, I think I get, 60 megabits download um on mine so i mean but you know that's middle of the desert and that's plenty to do remote imaging with so there are a lot of successful businesses and people that have done it extremely well when you look at sierra remote observatories sro um new mexico sky and on and on like the list goes on and on dark sky observatories out in texas these are some of the best guys in the world um and so, you know, they built observatories there and that's what they do. They rent the peer space so you can put your your equipment there and run it remotely. And it's just done for you. It's awesome. It's like everything's set up there. It's protected. And these these companies have really gone out of their way to make sure that people have a good experience. It's just expensive. You know, it's several thousand dollars in a month in some cases, um, especially if you have a big system. And so that... Ultimately, what I'd like to see is somebody get that price down to 99 bucks a month. And I would love to. I just simply can't. Like, I don't have the time to. But I do think that that would be amazing if it could be. Like, that would be the dream, right? It's like 99 bucks a month. People could have access to it. That's just going to have that many more people imaging that much more often and pushing the boundaries, creating new interesting images, getting people more excited. And that positive feedback loop is exciting. It's really valuable to the hobby. You know, it drives all of us. Seeing those images is what what drives everybody to keep pushing themselves. So I like that for the community. It's just a really hard thing to do. You'd have to, it, it'd be really expensive to get that off the ground and really, um, you know, a challenge to make sure that the infrastructure, the security, everything was there. But I do think it'll happen eventually. So anybody listening that's like, I can do that, go do it. Go do it. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be the thing I'd worry about the most is security. If you can, unless you can make it remote enough to where it's just not worth it to go all the way out there, you know, yeah. uh, someplace like where I don't know Walter White would go to make meth or something. If you went in the de- desert that far out, um, you know, you could maybe not worry quite so much. But you do have internet because of Starlink, and so you'd be able to have security cameras up and, and stuff like that to see what's going on. Yeah. So you can protect yourself in that way. It's mm-hmm. I don't know it's. <laughs> I just think it's becoming, as we just mentioned, not only for big scopes, but just because of the complication and some of this equipment for imagers, you know, just um, kind of got have to do it, you know, just some kind of setup where even if all it is, is a, you've got your telescope set up in your backyard and you cover it with some waterproof thing. They make these silver yeah. tarps. I forget. Absolutely. What's the name of that company? I bought one. Um, yeah. The 365 cov- covers from uh, Telegizmos. Thank you. That's it. I bought one of them for my 20 inch. That's what they I work. cover it with. Uh, they work extremely got, well. Yeah. Yeah, they, they do. So, and, and then, although I don't feel quite comfortable leaving it out in the rain um, with that thing on, um, I suppose, I suppose or, you could. Or but, big, if it's a big, you know, you got a, a really windy night, it becomes a little scary if you have a light system because that turns it into a giant kite. You know, and then then it'll knock the system over. And then if it's raining as well, now the system's getting flooded with water. Um, So, you you know, you'll break your telescope and the electronics. But it uh, if you have a a decently heavy system, especially if you have a permanent pier, those things work extremely well. They can stand up to some pretty, pretty tough weather. So that you you would stand, but you think they're pretty weatherproof. I just feel like it's not enough. And when I I mean, they're thick. And what I like about it is they're covered in a silver material. Mm -hmm. So it keeps the sun from like beating down on it. So I really like that. It reflects a lot of the sun. Yeah. Do you think they'll be up to a, like a really good thunderstorm? Oh, I've left mine out. I mean, in California, I had them out year round all the time, which California is not a super great pressure test just because, yeah. you know, San Diego doesn't really have weather, but um, I've left them out in other areas too, like Tennessee. Um, and even here, I mean, I left a system out for probably eight months 
underneath one and it was fine through thunderstorms, through everything. It was fine. It was a heavy system. So I knew it wasn't going to blow over and it, it worked well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I don't know here. The thunderstorms can get quite, quite drastic. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Different monster entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Everywhere else in the country. Yeah, that's true. In many ways we, I live, I, I, I learned this of course, about when I first moved here, uh, that central Florida where I live is the lightning capital of the world. The world, nobody on the planet Earth gets more lightning strikes than we do. Uh, in fact, it's over by Ocala, which is about a half an hour from me. So that is where most of the lightning strikes on the planet occur right here. So that's that's interesting. So I had to learn a lot about, uh, you know, uh, what do you call those things? Uh, lightning lightning rods. <laughs> I, had, I had to learn about those, how to put up lightning rods and things like that just to, just to protect myself. Once I got a light, we had a lightning strike happen about, I guess it was 20 feet from the house. And I mean, it just went, I was sitting in the back porch with Panther. We're just drinking a beer because I like to go out when there's a thunderstorm. And all of a sudden it went pow. I mean, just, you just, it was like an explosion and it hit about 20 feet from the house. And oh, Panther and I just, you know, we, we lost it. I'm like, Whoa, what was that? And my oven went out, which was weird because it's got the, um, I guess because I had that electronic connect you know circuit board my dishwasher went out and uh, luckily i didn't lose lose any computer gear but um so that was and but and it also broke a pipe that was underneath an irrigation pipe that was under the ground because it hit the ground uh not the house or any structures so witnessing i've only witnessed it one time and it was in this last year similar similar kind of thing i didn't actually see it happen i was inside but it's so loud when it happened yeah yard actually the guest house that you stayed in here right behind that there's those trees if you came and visited now you see exactly what i'm talking about but i mean it popped the tree and it sounded like a bomb went off you know i mean it really is like that loud that's right that's exactly right a really loud grenade or you know something just goes pow uh and it was and it's instant and there's a shock wave that goes with it too um, I, yeah. people also, sometimes people report, you know, that their hairs kind of stand up on end with their arms and stuff right before lightning strike. I, I didn't feel any of that mostly because it was, it was raining really hard at the time. Well, also because uh, you didn't get hit by lightning. No, right. <laughs> no, we didn't get hit. No. Well, yeah, but they say the area gets charged, yeah, uh, but bad. I didn't feel any of that. Um, yeah. So but what it did to the tree is just, I mean, it, it really is like, it's a lot it, of it's force. scary. It's it power. makes you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just the tree is just destroyed. You know, it just splintered all the way through it and just threw stuff everywhere. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I was like, man, that that's scary because I've never been the guy that's like, oh, well, it's raining or whatever. You know, everybody's like, oh, you know, you got to go inside fast. And it's always like, man, it's lightning. We're, we're fine. Right. Yeah. But it, I don't think that way anymore. Now you see it way off in the distance. I'm like, go get inside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it. It's I, I like extreme weather. It's, I mean, it's good because I live here in Florida. I mean, I'm always wanting to go out into the thunderstorms and see them. Or when we have hurricanes, I'm always wanting to go outside and, and take a look. Uh, Charlotte really hates that about me, but I really, I really like to go out and just just see it, um, even even now. But that was a scary thing, and so that's the kind of thing I've got to worry about. And so with my little with my little shed, what I'm going to do is build it right behind my. Um, solar panel array i've got about about seven kilowatts of of solar panels that have been mounted six foot into the ground there to withstand hurricanes so i've got a really strong superstructure there and i'm going to i'm going to use i'm going to actually roll the telescope underneath that okay panel uh, because i'm going to use that superstructure uh, to protect it and then i'm going to roll it you know it's just going to roll maybe four feet out behind it so that i can um uh, get away from the, the solar panels and then see the area of the sky. Another thing that I want to, while we're on this topic, I should bring up is what you, and you did, you alluded to it with your setup. You said that there's trees all around. I would actually argue that at least in the Southeast where we are, that having a horizon of trees is a good thing. I have an open field. I only have plus or minus maybe 30 degrees from Zenith. Mm-hmm. you know, of a, of a dome, everything else is covered with, uh, oak trees. And I, that helps me because it blocks out a lot of the sky glow from nearby towns, uh, where I live. So 
I actually think that's a good thing. If you're, if you can see all of the sky, like if you can have a circle above your head of say 30 degrees from Zenith, all you got to do really is just wait for the earth to turn. If something is out of your field of view. Now that won't work obviously for things low to the horizon, but really you don't want to take a lot of imaging low to the horizon anyway, because it sucks. You know, the, the atmosphere sucks. So I don't know. I mean, don't feel discouraged, I guess is what I'm saying. If you've got an, if you're surrounded by trees you know, on your local horizon, because I think that actually helps you in this day of light imaging. Well, for visual, it's almost necessary. I mean, there's so many things against you with visual anyway, you know, um, that you really just want to look at things when they're in the best possible position in the sky. Um, if, you know, if you can, at least if things will get that high and get up to Zenith. Um, but with imaging, it really, it's a deterrent too when you have those types of situations. Obviously, the more sky, the better. Like optionality is a great thing. But like, if that's all you have, it forces you to get your best data because you don't mm-hmm. have the temptation of trying to image something at 25 degrees, you know, on the horizon through all the muddy atmosphere yeah. that you're going to then combine that with the rest of your data that you shot at Zenith. And so, yeah, it forces you to wait and get the best possible data. Um, but yeah, it is frustrating. I mean, especially for targets that never do get up that high from your location in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but for what there are, I mean, it's just worth, I, I don't know. I've never, I mean, sometimes if I look at things low in the sky, I'm never satisfied with it observationally or with imaging. I don't know how you would use any of these images the taken over a the sky globe. You can't really see anything as soon as it comes up. Like it's always tempting to look at it when it's huge and red. You look at it and it's <laughs> just mud. You can't see anything. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I, I don't know. I, this day and age with the with the light pollution the way it is, I don't see having a horizon of trees as anything. It helps me. I, I'm glad that I am because all my neighbors, it's kind of rural here and everybody has their own like street. Uh, not not a street. Yeah, it's a night light that they have on a, on a telephone pole, and they're generally uh, s- mercury vapor. Actually, some of them are sodium vapor, but they're really bright. And all it takes is one to just yeah. ruin everything. So you got to somehow mark off one. You got one sodium vapor lamp in your face can just yep. ruin it all. So I'm glad for the trees. Mm-hmm. So and I and I had the power company. We have a co op here. I had the power company come and take mine down. I just. I just, oh. cause I was, they were charging me like eight bucks a month for it. And I said, look, can you just come get this thing? I don't want it. I don't want to pay for it. And I, I, you know, and I, cause I had no control over it. They wouldn't let me put a switch on it. I couldn't turn it off. You know, <laughs> it's like, well, I, I don't want this. And it was right near where I was going to put the telescope. So. Yeah. And um, I won't, I won't recommend that anybody ever do this, but you know, it started because somebody was telling me I had a street lamp right in front of my uh, place in um, California and so oh, I, I like, know. Yeah. I know right with the one you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, uh, everybody's like, shoot it out with a BB gun. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to shoot it out with a BB gun. Although I have heard of people doing that. It's not recommended. Don't do that. It's illegal. No. Yeah. But, um, but I did find that the lasers that we use for pointing in the sky, if ever I was going to show like, like one of the kids walking down the street or something wanted to look at, the moon and you, you couldn't because the scope, you know, the big scope looking right past the uh, street lamp would be blinding to the kid. Those little sensors on the top shining the, le- the laser on it. It didn't damage anything with the stuff, you know, cause it's the low powered ones. And it convinced that the street lamp that it's daylight and the light would go off for a bit. So I don't know that I can recommend anybody do that, but I can't say it worked. Yeah. When I was in Colorado, I had a house that was oriented it was a two-story house there was a big street light right in my yard and of course when we like which which the house that you're talking about in in, uh, in california you just we just rolled that 20 inch out on your driveway and there's the street light uh right my my configuration was a lot like that but i could go up on a bedroom window on the second floor and shine it straight on that light sensor on top yeah. of the um street light and turn it right off so but i had to mount it i had to like put it on a little mount so that I couldn't, so it didn't move. Yeah. So it just um, sits there and yeah, yeah. keeps the light off for 20 minutes or 30, whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, it's a nice trick. Yeah. So are you going to make this available to people in your local area? I mean, that's always kind of the, I mean, it's the whole reason we do this podcast and everything else, right? It's like, how do you share this enough to feel uh, like you, did? you never do, but yeah, that's an Are interesting question. Um, I might. The thing about it, and I, I'm just being honest here, is I don't like my neighbors. Um, <laughs> my my neighbors are scary. 
What? <laughs> they're not. They're well. They, here's a typical Sunday, right? I'm, I'm so on Sunday morning. I, you, when I first moved here in 2013, after my dad passed away, it was it was so quiet. I mean, it was the night was dark. I mean, I could you know you turn off all the lights in the house, and really you couldn't see your hand in front of the in front of your face. I loved it, right? Um, and then over the years, you know people just started buying more and more guns. And now on every Sunday, man, I don't know where these people get their money, but they must go through hundreds of dollars of ammo every Sunday. And, and one guy I'm convinced of it. He's like two plots over that guy has, he doesn't just have hunting guns. He has ordnance. I could have swore the other day. I heard a uh, claymore go off. I mean, that's what I'm not kidding, man. So, so, I did. Look, the guy was shooting automatic weapons, semi-automatic weapons, handguns, rifles. I know the difference because I was the armorer in my unit in the army. So I know these weapons and and I know what they're firing. And I thought I heard an M60 one day. Um, I definitely heard an M16 that was fully automatic and um, a Claymore. It just went boom in a way that only a Claymore can do. Why are they firing off claymores, man? You guys I don't know, man. So my neighbors scare the living crap out of me. Okay. So this is not the story I was expecting. I know, I right? It's I not mean, you guys are on five acre plots. It's not like you're out there on five thousand with you. Tell me shooting. about it. That's the scary thing, right? And so, I mean, it's like, and these people I don't know these people from Adam. And they start setting up their their target ranges and they start shooting. And I don't know if they know anything about gun safety. I don't know if they know anything about how you know, they're shooting. That, that they're the rest shooting of us are rounds. Oh man. Yeah. They're, they're, they're shooting. Well, that guy was, there, there's, one, <laughs> there's one guy getting ready for Armageddon. I just know it. But, but this other neighbor on the other side of me, uh, bought, bought one of the five acre plots. It doesn't even have a house on it. It's just because to build a house in Florida is really quite expensive. You've got to pay $25,000 alone just to get the septic tank put in. And, and so then the, there's all the other stuff that goes with it. Uh, so people are buying these five acre lots for a good amount of money actually. And then they're not putting houses on them and they're yeah. just using them like people that putting horses on it, which is great. I love that. But there's also people putting, you know, like shooting ranges up. And the other shooting day I heard some gun. Yeah. Acres. some I, I heard a, I heard a nine millimeter being fired the other day and oh, it was like God. less than must have been 200 feet from my house. And so yeah, I was like, holy crazy. crap. So I need to go and see this, what's going on. Cause I need to see if this guy's got a setup that's maybe pointing his target towards me. You know, I got grandkids coming over. I don't want to deal with this. So, uh, I, and I'm looking at him and, uh, luckily he had it pointing towards the other neighbor, uh, to, and he was doing his target range that luckily. way. These people, they just don't think, right. So it's like, I don't feel safe. And if I start inviting all these people over yeah, in the yeah, middle no, of the night to my okay. house, I don't know, man. Yeah. No, no, that totally makes sense. You don't want anybody that's got claymores coming to your coming it to your It might not have been team. might have been a hand grenade, but it was definitely yeah. it sounded like what I remember a claymore sounding like. Regardless, you're probably not <laughs> gonna have a ton in common um, <laughs> to talk about at your Astro Star Party. That's right. So now However, having said that, those are my neighbors. Uh, there are there is a local college, uh, Stetson University is close to here. It's a liberal arts college, and yeah. I may reach out to them and I may say, "Look, you know, there's going to be a may, yeah. I may advertise it in a place you like should, that." You should, man. You where, really should. That would be awesome. Say, you know, you know, every um, you know, if a special event comes up like that Green Comet, I would have been great to have it set up, and I could have invited, yeah. I could have thrown out some flyers or maybe set up something on Facebook and said, "Look, if you come over here, I'll set up my scope and you can take a look at it." Um, which, so I, I actually probably will do that, uh, just because you're right. It's a shame to have this resource and not share it. Another way I could do it is maybe, you know, live stream some of it, but that requires a lot of equipment I don't have. And, um, I don't know if it's worth it to, a lot of people are live streaming now. So, um, telescope stuff. So I don't know. I mean, you got Econ Greg, for example. He sets up a – he's got a nice setup yeah, for, amazing, for that. So. He's, he's such yeah. a good streamer for that too. For anybody that hasn't hasn't seen a stream, Econ Greg, uh, PhD economist. But on the side, he streams Astro. And um, I think it'd be something that – you know, like something similar to that, I think you would really do well with in, in showing people. We assume you know, too much that people that we meet or that just we haven't um, – 
have thought about this stuff at all. I'm always surprised and I shouldn't be, but I'm always surprised when you have conversations with people, how little they've ever even thought about what's above them or what the stars, you know, or anything around anything in the universe is, you know, and, um, just never really taken an interest. So I think that the more we make these things accessible, the better. And I, I really think that it's something that for those of us that have access to it, or even understand that it's possible, I don't know. I think sharing is the best part of it. It's really, it's really what drives me to keep doing it. You know? Yeah, you're actually convincing me. I, sh- I need to. I need to. You make, should work Especially this into the plan. School, I mean, think about when you got access to telescopes. Like those at that school, there's kids there that have never had access to a telescope, and yeah. you're going to show them through a 20 inch for the first time. You're going to blow people's minds. That's a good point, actually. And Charlotte, she's she just got her credentials to be a speech language therapist, and she's been getting her. What you have to do to become licensed is you have to work a certain number of hours, about a year, uh, using those skills and stuff uh, under supervision. And she's been doing that at the public schools, which is one of the reasons I caught COVID a couple of months ago. Uh, but the 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 point of that is that she, I could easily say to her, you know, why don't we, you know, make a school announcement that they want to, some students want to come over with their parents and uh, take a look through the telescope. That's another thing you got to worry about with kids, especially is inviting them over to your house, you know, at night. And so you need to be oh, yeah, clear yeah. about. The world's you know, a crazy you, place for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, so you have to make sure another thing too, is like, you have to make sure anytime that I have, cause I do, I do quite a bit of that here um, at the observatory. I've got this big UFO looking concrete pad that has the 24 that rolls out into this center pier and we bring, you know, local classes or, or groups or whatever to just come look at whatever you want to enjoy the night sky for for a few hours, you know, just explore. And um, when that happens, one of the things that early on, like the first night, I hadn't thought this through. And so anybody that's going to do this, think about this. But you really have to make sure that you've got at least enough light there or red lights or something that people can see where they're going and you know, yeah. for us, for those of us doing astronomy all the time, we think about it and we know and we have our little red lights or whatever. You know, I still use my phone all the time. Just turn the light on and go. Um, but, um, you know, it can be a hazard and then people end up getting hurt. And now you've got like legal issues and stuff like that. So I really think that it's important to to make it available, but also keep it safe and uh, make sure that nobody ends up getting hurt, tripping on things out there. Because we know where all the stuff, the things are. We know where that little stump is in the yard. No one else coming over does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a really good point. Just bathe everything in red light. Is um, yeah. you you can even put out red spotlights all over the area and just point them down to the ground and and just have plenty of light at the ground level where people can yeah. see where they're putting and, their feet. And I've That's never all seen you anybody get hurt. It just that the first day, it just kind of assumed like, oh man, you know, you're asking people to come out here look at things that are really really bright, like the moon through a telescope is very bright. Then you walk away blinded. It's already mm-hmm. dark out. You can just get to a scary situation. Yeah, no, that's really good. I'm, I might play around with some some display technologies too, where you can, you know, put the image of the eyepiece up on a on a telescope. I think on a that's actually better. Like that. And I know I know a lot of people disagree with me. Probably every single person that listens to this is going to disagree with me. Harumph, harumph, harumph. Yeah, I know, I know they will. But I think it's actually better to get a camera, put it on the telescope, and then shoot it to a display for large groups than it is to try to get every person over there, especially through a big telescope, climbing on a stepladder, looking through. People are always nervous every single time to touch the focuser because they don't know how it works. Nobody wants to feel stupid, you know, and they don't really know what they're looking for, you know. So trying to explain to each person how to focus a telescope without moving it or getting it off the target or any of that, um, it's a lot. And it can really inhibit the experience for people. Whereas shooting it up to a screen means it's in focus for everyone all the time. Yeah. Another big issue is eye relief. A lot of, a lot of people will go up depending on your eyepiece, like a television or something, you need to actually back up a little bit to see it. And a lot of people think instinctively they need to put their eyeball right up on the eyepiece and they won't see anything, but they'll say they do because they don't want to act like they don't, they don't want to do it. And so you don't really know, you know what they're seeing. Yeah, Nobody wants Uh, to be the one that, yeah, you don't want to feel stupid when you're doing something new. You don't want to feel like everyone else gets it and you don't. Exactly. So they all, you know, you tell them now back up your eye a little bit and you might, oh, and then you can tell when they really do see it. They just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. you know, ah, <laughs> uh, see, I told I knew you didn't see it before. You, you're thinking that, but you're not saying it out loud. <laughs> uh, but the, you know, the, um, yeah, there's a lot of issues there with, with people who've never been in a tel- telescope for the first time. And for me also, I've got to deal with ladders because this is a tall telescope to get to the eyepiece at all. So I think a display 
coupled with a green laser pointer where you're actually pointing to the sky where people are looking, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's good. I think people get a lot out of that. You know, oh, is yeah. that where it is? Oh, okay. It's in that we part keep, of the sky. Um, I keep like 10 of the Radian laser pointers here. and Those um, are nice. Yeah, they are, man. They are. I got, well, I got one of the green ones. And uh, yeah. yeah, man, they're bright. Yeah, they're 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 super nice to have. They're really handy when you're trying to point things out in the sky and explain things because then everybody can see it at the same time, and you're not just like like gun sighting down your arm from your elbow to your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can point right where you're looking. Yeah, yeah. You say, here's where we're looking. Uh, yeah. This bright spot right here, that's Mars. Yeah. And oh, okay. What's that other bright thing? You go like this one? No, this one over there. Oh, you mean this one? No, over a little bit more. Yeah, that one right there. Then you can. You know, you're be more, you're much more exact uh, with the laser pointer. Uh, those so. things, uh, those things disappear though. I have to, I have to keep them. I literally have to ship them to myself like every three months because people that come and visit and check it out, it's like <laughs> those laser pointers just walk away. They're they like pens, right? <laughs> Everybody's like, this is the coolest part is just seeing the laser go up into the sky. You know, <laughs> so sometimes the laser pointers end up leaving with kids. Yeah, you know they <laughs> did, but that's all right. Take my laser pointer, man. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's that's all the things to think about. I, I'm excited to get going on this, and yeah, I think you've convinced me I should make more of an effort once I do get it set up to uh, man, share it, to share make it this all. available. Share the whole experience. So, yeah. yeah and if my neighbors super- show up, then I'll just have to have a sidearm, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you need more than that. <laughs> my only gun that I have, two guns. I have a, a 12-gauge shotgun and a sawed-off 12-gauge shotgun that uh, my dad had. And uh, I like the sawed-off because it's just, you know, real. it's it's easy to carry around and stuff. So I might, I, I keep that around uh, just in case. But um, that's it. You know so I don't have any. This whole time I was thinking you had these, like, wild neighbors. And you are one of them. Like what do you mean? I don't ever shoot that gun with a sawed-off shotgun. <laughs> I don't ever shoot that thing. I just keep it. I just keep it in my office. But you know, it's like down in Florida. This is a different topic. We won't go into it too much. But you know, if you got, if you can, if you have permitless carry, you know, on weapons, everybody's armed. I mean, well, you just need to think about that. Well, what about how am I going to protect myself? You know, mm-hmm. so even if you don't want to, you have to think about it because everybody else may be, you know, fully armed and dangerous. So. Anyway, it's one of those things that I, I think a lot about these days. So it's, you know, anyway, my neighbors, I don't know them, uh, because they are all pretty new. They've all just moved here, but all of them seem very heavily armed. Yeah. Well, in, in the world is a crazy place right now. There's no way. I mean, even if you, even if you only believe 1% of the stuff you see on the news in the first place, right? That's that 1% is still really crazy. What's going on in the world. And like, especially it takes. Yeah, yeah, it's really um it's really a bad bad situation, I mean globally, and it's tough. It's tough times for so many people right now, basically yeah. everyone. And um you know, with all the layoffs and everything that's been happening just across the world, it's really um it's it's really a time that I think astronomy, like I'm so thankful that I found this and that like my friend group understands and appreciates it and everything because it it brings us all together on something that's so much larger than this and it's a perspective that never gets old or dims you know it's just Mm -hmm. like this thing that regardless of the undulations the good or the bad it's like that's always there and it's just solid all the time yeah yeah well i mean there's nothing like you know looking at distant galaxies to to get some perspective about life here on earth so exactly yeah so it's yeah you're right it's it's, it's it's always enjoyable i mean it's just such a depthy hobby and one that i think is um so intellectually challenging and even charging it's like it you know you have a crazy week and i've heard this from countless people but it's like you know so it's not just me being a super nerd um although that's usually the case it's just like you have a crazy week and you go out and you spend a few hours doing astro, you know, out there under, you know, under the stars, looking through a telescope or taking images. And it's like, man, it's just one of those therapeutic, like you're, you're fully recharged after that, you know? It is. That's very true. Yeah. I mean, but you know what I've been getting into and this probably won't, it's probably not the thing to say to a a retailer or someone who sells gear, but I, I find that I, 
I just love looking up. I mean, I just like looking at the stars, you know, with no, nothing. <laughs> and, and I, I get the clearest views and I know enough about what I'm looking at to know w- the details of it. So it's like, I just enjoy, like with this puppy, I just got, we just got a new puppy. I just go outside a lot. That's, you know, I'm, I'm always going out, seeing what's up, what's fading some moons in. And I, I don't know, I'm getting, I just love that. I just love just being under the stars. It, it, getting out from, un, you know, underneath the roof of the house and, and watching TV or whatever it is we're doing. And, uh, just looking up is, is very refreshing, both mentally and spiritually. You know, it's just amazing. To I me, agree. So. I agree. Yeah. It never gets old, but I think that for you right now, it's like, it's probably just the, like an effort to value kind of ratio that is, that pushes you that direction. Cause right now in order for you to look at the sky through a telescope, mm-hmm. it requires a ton of work, time, energy, like all those things. Mm-hmm. Whereas once you have the, it'll be interesting to see once you have your observatory built, if you still feel the same way, if yeah. it's not like, you know what I love doing is taking 10 steps across the yard to look up through my telescope. Well, I know it'll be better because, you know, Charlotte's always asking me, you know, she reads the news. It's funny how you know you're with somebody that's right for you when you both have the same articles coming at you on your Google news feed, right? And we both see the same articles. And she goes, what is this about this new green comic? Can we go out and and, and check it out? And I said, yeah, I read that. Uh, And and no, (laughs) because I don't... (laughs) I don't feel like setting it up. So I said, let's go see if we can see it with, uh, with a, uh, pair of binoculars. We couldn't. Um, but you know, it was, uh, <laughs> she's always asking me, you know, can we go out and see this or that? And you know, Mars is an opposition. Can we go see that? So I know for a fact that this is going to increase both of our enjoyment of it. Uh, only especially if it's one of those things where she just wants to go out and look and see and they go, okay. Um, yeah, thank, thank you. <laughs> go back inside. Right. And I'm like, Okay. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. well, this hobby is one. I, I can't imagine a hobby that has more trapped experience than Astro for that reason. Like you have, you have this drive to do it, but you've got the clouds working against you. You've got, you know, other weather, you've mm-hmm. got, um, the moon know, time of day, like the time it's overnight, you know, so a lot of times you're tired or whatever. Yeah. yeah the setup, this, some of this stuff's heavy. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of trapped experience because of those things. And that's why I think, you know, the observatory that you're building, I think it makes a ton of sense, man. And I think the hobby is getting really a lot better at that anyway. Actually, check this out. Can you see this thing? Lift it up. Wow, that's like a that's like a drive motor to a Tesla or something. What is that amount? Yeah, this is this is you know we were talking about those ioptron mounts. Yeah. In an, in one of our conversations here on this podcast, I convinced myself to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> didn't take and much so twisting just, of your arm though, it, did it? It, <laughs> it was sitting on my desk, but yeah, this is this is how little that ioptron um, HEM twenty seven we were talking about the uh, strain wave drive. This is how small it is. I mean, look at this yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, and That's it's amazing. 27 pounds and it's just like, it looks like a paperweight, Yeah, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, counter to everything I was just saying, you know, mounts and gear like this make it a lot easier to get out and actually use your stuff. Cause you just pick the whole thing up and go. It's not mm-hmm. like what you're dealing with where you're trying to carry 150 pounds across the sand yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, I, yeah, that's, uh, and that's, that's very portable. So you could put a nice four, four inch apo on that and decent, uh, decent tripod and you'd be good to go. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so we got a few minutes left and I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you had a chance to watch this video, but remember I texted you a couple weeks ago about this video that they have made, uh, about Andrew McCarthy. It's called moonshot. Now I'm going to, I'll leave a, I'll leave a, um, link to all this in the description so you guys can watch it on YouTube. It's put out by a company called, King Toledo Entertainment. Anyway, they got a, it's a, it's a little short doc about, what is it? About 17 minutes. All about Andrew McCarthy. Now, did you get a chance to see that, that, that video? I, no, I, so he sent it to me. I haven't seen it yet though. Um, I need to, I've just been slammed, man. But I saw a while back, they contacted me and told me they were doing it, which I thought was really, really great. Andrew's incredible. Oh yeah. Everything, yeah. like all the stuff he produces is so good. 
Um, yeah. Which is why his his account is as big as it is. I mean, he's been shared in basically every major publication. It's it's incredible what he does. But um, no, I mean, so you've seen it. How is it? Oh yeah, it's well, it's great. Um, so I guess they're calling him like the the biggest astrophotographer out. You know, certainly one of the most famous. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was a seventeen minute video, and it's definitely worth your time. I uh, well, I had a laugh because I think the whole point was to try and get. They were just going to get the moon. This certain kind of. I forget which blood moon it was. You know, there's like a billion blood moons out there. Uh, they were trying to get one of those, get a shot of that uh, coming up over this one mountain. And so they sh- they documented what he went through that day to to get it. And <laughs> in the beginning of the video, <laughs> I had a laugh. They're walking around. I guess it's the Mojave Desert. I'm, I'm not exactly. I'm not totally sure where they were at, where they were. Uh, but they were out in the desert, and he's walking around in. Uh, flip-flops in the middle of the desert. And I'm thinking to myself, Hey dude, Whoa, <laughs> I don't think I'd be doing that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, snakes and scorpions and all that fun stuff, but yeah, yeah. anyway, it, it documented the whole thing where, you know, how he set it up. He had an array of, uh, of scopes and cameras set up and, and what he went through to, to get it. And then toward the, um, end of the video, they showed the results of not only that night, but a lot of other, uh, of his, of his, um, compositions. And I say compositions because, um, they're not just what he sees in a given frame on a given night. He, you know, the moon was there. Sure. He took, he got the moon with the foreground of the the mountain range there, but you know, he doesn't stop there. He, and I learned this, I guess, through, um, uh, an article I read after I saw it where he was getting some flack. He was getting some pushback on how artsy everything was and how it wasn't, um, what do you call it? Realistic, I guess, you know, what he would say. Cause he, you know, he would, you know, use a lot of artistic expression in some of these photos, you know, the, the moon doing certain things, certainly the moon. Um, I mean, you yourself have said you're guilty of, you know, loving that saturation slider. Um, but you know, he would do a lot of that, a lot of, a lot of color work, a lot of composition work that wasn't realistic in terms of how they appear in the night sky. They were just works of art. And I learned from that article where he was responding to this criticism that he says, you know what? Look, I, I started as a digital artist or digital, uh, I guess, I don't know if it was graphic designer, but certainly someone who has an artistic bent, right? And he likes that. He likes to take what he's taken through the telescope and turn it into a piece of art. And I guess there was a lot of grief he got from that uh, in the in on Twitter. I saw that on Twitter. Yeah. Um, what what do you think of that? I mean, you know, no, I see it all the time. Everybody, yeah. it, you can't say you've done astrophotography until you know you've had a bunch of people throw hate your way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm just kidding, but it, um, yeah, he gets a lot of that. But I think all the people that are innovating right now, I see Bray Falls, you know, and his images are among the best in the world. Um, I've seen him get flack. I've seen, man, I've even seen Trevor Jones, which I don't know if, uh, have you met Trevor in person? You have to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I met him in yeah, California. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. In San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, he's like literally one of the nicest guys walking earth. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> and like everything I've never seen. Like he's so committed to the hobby and just driving it forward positively. Uh-huh. And, um, I mean, even he gets flack. And so it's just like, you're going to get it. You're going to get people that get upset. If you, if you make it too realistic, people will call it dull. And then if you make it too uh, artistic, then people call it fake. And so, you know, it's just, I think you just got to do what you like and you just got to produce things that get you excited. And, and that means something to you. It's no different than any other, than any other art form or, you know, hobby. It's like, do what you enjoy and let that stuff kind of fall away. I mean, I get a lot of it too. It's just, I don't know. I mean, most of the time, I just, I just kind of embrace it. I, I don't really care like one way or the other, you know, if people, if people like it, I mean, I, I do like it when people like it and it gets them excited about the hobby and then, you know, it gets people talking and doing that. That's a big part of the reason I do it is to get people excited about what I'm excited about. But sure. when people are saying like, oh, well that's fake or this or that, it's like, man, well, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to buy a print like for sure. You know, you don't, <laughs> you don't even have to follow my account if you don't want to, but right, you know, right. it's like, I, I don't know what gets people so charged in seeing someone else's work that they have to attack it in that way. It just doesn't make much sense to me. 
well, like I said, that a lot of people consider him like the top dog in in uh, astrophotography circles, or one of the best astrophotographers in the world, and if not the best, and so maybe there's a certain amount of you know, yeah, there's there's just uh, a lot of different types, a lot of, of hate associated with that. But but yeah. I got to tell you, I I kind of think it's a natural progression. I mean. <laughs> How, I've said this before. How many times do we need another picture of the Orion Nebula? We don't. Um, it's your picture. It means something to you, um, and you've managed to take a nice picture of it, and you've 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 calibrated it and, and processed it and everything else yourself. That's meaningful, and that's that's important. But if you're on that level, I think this is the next progression. I just think you know, it's another level that you're taking your work, and some of the colors that he adds to the moon, I think are beautiful. You know, I love his moon, his moon shots. Yeah. Um, and I love, you know, all the other work that he does as well. Some of the compositions are a little weird, uh, you, know, you know, cutting, cutting in the different objects that would, you wouldn't see together, but I, you know, it's not, it's that it's not for me to like or dislike. It's just art. It's just there. And yeah, I think it, it, that's okay. Thought provoking. And yeah. like, you know, it's, those things. And, and so in a lot of it is, I mean, he, he pays so much attention to detail and really getting like maximum resolution. The time he spends on just photos of the moon is insane, man. Mm. I mean, he mm-hmm. will stack just hundreds of thousands of images to get a single photo of the moon to get that much clarity and resolution. And yet still people are upset. So, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know what, what the answer is to make everybody happy. Well, but, I guess um, I don't care about the hate so much. I just wanted to get your thoughts about turning this into art. Um, that is, seems be, to me a good, I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a naturally. Yeah, I mean, when does it become that? I think like, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the fallacies and like slippery slope reasoning, right? Like when does it become art? Is it, so if you take, if you take a picture, for instance, with your color camera on your iPhone, is it a photo that's, you know, uh, documenting that event or is it art because it's a color camera, which means it's guessing at the colors. It's not an accurate representation of the colors. You'd have to have a monochrome camera to do that. You know, so now you've had this interpolated data that's been pre-processed with, you know, pixel, uh, pixel math or, um, uh, what's it called? Hot pixel removal, all those things. So like at what point is it until you stretch the image? Is that when it becomes art? Is it when you add saturation to it? Is it now art instead of documenting the event? Like what, where is it? Where's the line? Yeah. Or, or what about them filters? Like you're on Instagram and you can apply those stupid looking filters. Yeah. You know, is that art? I mean, it you know, it's now? like your picture yeah, of yeah. the bird at the park. Is it fake? And it has no relevance. <laughs> it has no yeah. value because you added saturation to make the grass greener. Like what? Where's the line, and why does the line matter? That's that's the real question. Why does it matter? Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, well, it, you know, it's the internet, and of course, you're going to get hate no matter what you do. Jesus Christ would get hate if he were on Twitter right now. So, um, you know, it's just it's just the way the world is. But I did, uh, I did think I, I found I found his process in that documentary uh, really really well done. I hope I hope that he it opens him up to a new audience because. Uh, you know, he's one of the premier guys. And so, um, you know, although I would, I would recommend shoes in the desert. Uh, other than that, that's only, it's only thing I got to say. <laughs> and it's all the best photographers with the worst, uh, worst shoe habits. Bray does the same thing walking around out there with rattlesnakes wearing flip flops, you know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's probably like, uh, a correlation to, you know, time spent in desert in sandals to quality of image. Yeah. Well, I think the easier it gets to take pictures of the night sky, the easier we're making. And of course, as you've pointed out many times, it's as easy as it's ever been (laughs) uh, to take pictures of the night sky. We're going to see more of this kind of thing. People taking real creative uh, approaches to their astrophotos stuff that you couldn't do with film. I mean, you might make an artsy fartsy uh, image of the Orion Nebula with film, but it's usually because it was a mistake or the film was fogged or something. Uh, and it just, Oh, you know what? This is art. <laughs> but, um, but now you can intentionally do these things. And I don't know. I, I just think we're going to start seeing a lot more of this going forward. The easier and more accessible imaging gets to the masses. So, yeah. um, I mean, if I can take a, a Bray Falls, uh, level image uh, after six months of using my equipment, and I think a lot of I think it's not unreasonable to think you can get close. Um, then you know 
the bar is low, but you know, what are you going to do to challenge yourself? And this is one of those things you can do to really challenge yourself, really get creative with what you've done. the, The one thing, and I think this is a fun game to play because you'll, you'll also notice it. If you start looking, you know, talking about like positive correlations, you'll, you'll find that the people that make the most noise about other people's images, when you click, like just take the time to click on their account. It's always hilarious because they have the single like worst image you'll ever see, you know, of whatever, whatever the same target is. Like you Mm -hmm. go to it and it's like star trails and just garbage and, you know, and it's like those are the people that come on and complain about like a world class Andrew McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just kind of like, guys, like just just support each other, you know, because if you reached out to Andrew and asked for help. He'd be the first person to raise his hand and try to help you, you know? So it's just Oh, like, I know. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. All these experts uh, are the nicest people you're ever going to meet. I, ever know, meet. I mean, they, these are just people. That's that only just... their hobby, too. Yeah. What other hobby yeah. have you ever been in that's like that? Like, photography is definitely not like that. It's yeah. super competitive and cutthroat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so who knows? I mean, I, anyway, watch the documentary. It came out, I think it was a week before last, two weeks ago. Uh, it's 17 minutes well spent and I really enjoyed it. It gives you an insight into one of the best photographers in the world, astrophotographers in the world, cool. uh, Andrew McCarthy. Cosmic background, is that right? Is that his handle? Yeah, cosmic yeah. background, yeah. He's yeah. easy to find. I mean, you yeah, probably, you'll find. Whether you have you follow him or not, which you should, um, you're going to see his images everywhere just because, I mean, yeah. he's been in like Time Magazine and stuff. Like he's that, Right, he's that famous. Yeah, yeah. He's He's yeah. been, in, he's like, um, you know, oh, almost, Rohelio, well, is he Rogelio famous, do you think, or or not? Oh man, I mean, I saw, I saw. So he's he's all over the place. He got shared. It was either him or Bray that got shared by like Ariana Grande, I think is how you pronounce her, the super famous pop star. Oh. And then, <laughs> wow. Um, the uh, yeah. the actress that plays Hermione Granger in um, Emma Harry Watson, Potter. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Emma Watson. She shared one of Bray Falls Nebula photos to like cool. fourteen million people or some crazy number. I'm I'm just making that number up, but it's something like that. Yeah, and. Um, you know, there's a lot of this stuff that's had massive, massive exposure, um, but it deserves it. I mean, they are really, really taking incredible images. So is Rogelio, though. Rogelio's mm-hmm. stuff, like, he'll always be one of my astro heroes just because, I mean, he was taking this stuff before anybody knew that you really even could. Like, he was one of the first people pioneering this, like, new level of world class, and he's still just yeah. top notch. My favorite artist of all time is... Um uh oh god i'm drawing a blank what's oh she's i hate when i do this um oh god he's spanish what he's uh he's a painter he's die he's dead oh damn it uh, dolly thank you salvador dolly ah, god i hate being old uh and the reason i i love him so much is that his work is very complex the more you look at it it's just the amount of sheer uh talent yeah, there uh is, is incredible Oh, okay. Well, so we're, we're kindred spirits on him then. He's my favorite all-time artist. And Rogelio reminds me of him in the astrophotographer realm. When His spacescapes, all of, all of the stuff he does is so intricate and hard, and it's not a composition. I mean, these, are, these are things that he did in, in one exposure. Um, that, 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 to me, is art also on a different level. It's using the technology. It's using what he knows about his equipment and the light that's coming and what he, he already has a composition in his mind, just like an artist would have. And out comes this amazing spacecape that um, will take your breath away. It's very similar to Salvador Dali. It's um, in my opinion, it's like that. You see the whole hobby differently too. I mean, even when we did the podcast with him, you remember that? It's like, you can't talk to Rogelio and not just get super inspired. Sure. To go out there and Want to push Another yourself. really nice guy, very approachable. Yeah, no, he's he's incredible, man. Um, but yeah. I mean, honestly, like all these all these people we're talking about, and many others. I mean, Jeffrey Horn is another one that. Um, I mean, he's in Nashville shooting through light pollution, producing images that look like they. I mean, they look like they'd take a thousand hours from the darkest skies in the world, and he's shooting right through the light pollution in Nashville. Um, but he's just. I mean, some of these people are just unbelievable talents, you know, and yeah. they just yeah. They found their hobby. They found what they love and that love, that passion for it, man. I mean, it shows in the quality. The quality is like, you cannot produce that if you're not in love with this hobby. Yeah. There's sort of a convergence of understanding your equipment, having the right equipment for the 
for the task at hand and the composition in your mind like that this this whole thing with andrew this well he had the composition of the moon in his mind he knew the image he wanted to take and he set up hours beforehand to get it uh to to capture this to capture that photo so um it's all those things converging i think that makes the next level uh, of astro, the Salvador Dali level of astrophotography, you know, that make mm-hmm. you feel like once you understand what they went through to get that image, you know, it's just it's just stunning and takes your breath away, and it makes you feel amazing. So, yeah, um, that's that's uh, that's a good that's the next that's something we can all aspire to. I think, yeah, absolutely uh, with imaging. Absolutely. So, all right, man. Well, great, man. We ate up uh, the hour quick. These hours yeah. always fly by. I know they do, man. That's for sure. All right, guys, I'll keep you uh, posted on my progress. Um, I'm going to probably shoot all the video and before I edit it later uh, on this, but I'll talk about it as I'm going along. Like um, I'm going to lay the, I'm going to lay the, the the concrete pad next week. So that'll, I'll talk, I'll talk about how sucky that was. I had to have to rent one of those. Um, what do you call them? I got like a pallet of, uh, of 80 pound, um, concrete 80 pound bags of concrete because the people around the, the contractors around here you can't get concrete to come to your house you know any mm-hmm. in the next like six months it's just they're busy so you have to pour it yourself and so i'm gonna rent one of those concrete mixer thingies and and just pour it myself and so we'll, Ooh, we'll see man. how it goes it's, it's just a pad and i'm gonna reinforce it with uh with metal with um what the, what well, you need metal? help, man. Give me a call. It's only what a six or seven hour drive. We'll <laughs> down there and we'll both you'll come down to help me. All right. Yeah, yeah you need it. I'll, I'll, I'll get in the car and make it happen. You're going to regret that. I mean, like, yeah. oh, I know. Those 80 I pound did. bags will break your back. I'm not saying I want to do it. I'm saying I'm willing to. <laughs> if, I, if I ask you hard enough and uh, yeah, bring you enough, ask me, I'll come bring enough it, beverages. Bro. I'm hoping that you get it done. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'll be right behind you every step of the way. <laughs> yeah. all right guys all right dustin we'll talk next week guys i'll get this out as soon as i can recording this on a thursday i usually get this out on wednesday so i'll try to get this out tomorrow on friday uh you guys have a good weekend thank you all so much for listening on behalf of dustin gibson i'm tony darnell and as always keep looking up